Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Problematic Fave Podcast. My name is Dino Ray Ramos. We are back after a short little break. Thank you for listening. This week, we have a wonderful episode. We have the wonderful journalist, uh, Char Jossel. Char and I talk about <laughs> the movie Bringing Down the House, starring Steve Martin and Queen Latifah. Listen, we already know that what you're thinking. This this movie is not that great. But <laughs> listen, I had a really good conversation. And you know what? I did not like the movie at first. And Char did it totally change my mind, but she made me look at it from a different perspective. But anyways, please, if you have any problematic faves, again, email us at thisisdiaspora at gmail.com. Would love to include you in the conversation. And if you have any things to say about um, bringing down the house, we just might read your email on the air. Isn't that exciting? It would be so exciting. Then you'll be podcast famous. <laughs> Anyways, I hope you enjoy this episode of Char Jossel as we discuss bringing down the house. Thanks for listening. Uh, Sophia, can you get my wife on the phone? Ex-wife. Uh, ex-wife on the phone? For lawyer Peter Sanderson, life was all work and no play. Daddy can't take you to Hawaii. He always does this. Until he went looking for a soulmate. Did someone make a blind internet date? And found... I hope you like sham... A soul sister. Poop. You must have not have took a good look at that picture. I have looked at that picture a lot, and trust me, you are not in it. Bringing down the house. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Problematic Fave Podcast. Uh, we, we had a little bit of a break last week, but we're back. And we're badder than ever with a badass guest. She is an award-winning journalist, co-host of the new podcast, We're Just Like That, the unofficial recap podcast for And Just Like That, uh, co-hosted with Den Rashan. She also co-hosted the podcast We See Each Other with Trayvall Anderson and is an award-winning journalist. Char, Giselle, welcome to the Problematic Fave podcast. Woo! Okay. I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you for having me as an esteemed guest. Of course. I mean, like, as soon as we met at that thing that I spoke at, like I was some sort of preacher talking about journalism. Oh, no, but you you were a preacher. You were a preacher. You were you were knocking it out. That was a few months ago. And yeah. I think I had known you, like I had known of you through like the interwebs because you have a very distinct um, profile picture on Twitter. And it never changes, at least from my memory. So it's like I knew of you, you know, through the highways and the byways. But it was very nice to to officially meet back in March. Yeah, and it's great just like because like we kind of work together at, you know, we do a little bit of work together at GLAAD. And, you know, I, I just enjoy you. But how are you with, you know, we're both journalists in the entertainment realm. How are you right now? Like, what is your emotional mental states? Don't hold back. Where are you at right now? <laughs> you know what? For right now in this moment, you know, I've been doing fairly well, all things considered. But I, I would be lying to you if I said I wasn't scared. OK, given that, you know, I'm already a freelancer. I do not have the esteemed privilege 
you know, esteemed as my word of the hour. I've said it twice in under 10 minutes, <laughs> but I don't have the privilege currently of being like a, in a staff position. So I'm, I'm still freelancing. Uh. And, you know, we pose our industry faces the same threat that that Hollywood faces as far as like this threat of A.I. to crank out articles and to to do, yeah. you know, they're, they're they're creating conglomerate positions in these places now where you have to you know write articles should be shoot articles um you know give video packages do voiceovers like yeah. you have to do all of that as one person and so it's a little scary especially as we progress with the strike and i wonder how that will affect our industry and then even with the current socio-political climate it's like i'm trying to come up for air the supreme court don't want me to exist you know everybody's radicalized and you're putting my livelihood at risk. It's a lot going on, Dino. <laughs> when someone asks me, I start off with listen. Yeah. Like Beyonce. Yeah. I'm like, listen. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm trying. That's kind of my answer all the time. It's like, I'm trying. I'm surviving. That's mm -hmm. kind of like, I could give you the, the answer that everyone wants. But, you know, I, I hope people appreciate my honesty. Maybe it's I'm honest too much most of the time. But No such uh, thing. Uh, no uh, such uh, thing. But I try to really create damn. my own reality. I'm totally on the whole manifestation train right now because I'm like. No, work. You know, I'm all I'm all doing the alchemy, all the alchemist stuff and really just working to shape and create my my own world while still existing in the world. <laughs> I know. Listen, that's what we do. Um. But, oh, yeah, and then you also, I just want to touch on this before we get into the, the, the film you, you chose. Mm -hmm. um, you, you have your podcasts, We're Just Like That. Yes. Uh, when I, I saw that you were hosting, I was all, oh, my God. Because <laughs> I could not get past episode one of season one of that show. Yeah. And I get the appeal, and I get what they're doing, but I was like, oh, you know what, it's not for me, but. I'm like, oh, I think I'll listen to your podcast and I won't even need to listen, watch the show. You know what? That That is a very popular talking point. There are so many people who just <laughs> listen, who will aimlessly, because here's the thing, Denver and I, who's my co-host, he is the, the senior editor at lovebscott.com. And Denver is a good friend of mine. And we are doing this podcast guerrilla style, okay? It's just us or talking. And there's so many people who, you know, stock in shelves overnight at Target or driving cross country. People love mindless conversation and they're people <laughs> who, you know, Denver and I, this podcast was inspired because we do like the show. So we don't hate watch, we actually enjoy and just like that. <laughs> and we used to host a very successful Twitter spaces last year where we would be up, uh -huh. you know, but you know, I'm not messing with Elon and his, and his bird app anymore. So we decided to, to uh, go the podcast route. And you, listen, the reviews are in. You know, I think we got a 4.8, 4.9 on, on Apple Podcasts. Yes. It's been like six Good. people. People have critiqued, but that's literally what it was. <laughs> we, we go off on tangents. It's two black people. You got a, a, a gay guy who's black. You have a black woman who's trans. And you're finding out, it's titled We're Just Like That, because you're finding out how these two black folks in LA are relating to four white women and they're now POC friends in the East Coast who are like 20 years older than us. We're still going through, there's a common thread there. And so if we can add our voice to the conversation, and like I said, we're fans of the show. So there's not too much feet dragging on our show. There's not too much berating. We have our critiques, of course, like we're honest. Of course. But overall, we're endeared to, to Carrie and the girls and, and it's been a lot of fun 
doing that podcast. And like I said, it's I've had some unlikely listeners. Like there's people my my editor from Variety hit me up and was like, I can't wait to listen to your hot takes. And I've had one of my friends, one of my friends' friend, who's this literally a cishet black man who's like, yeah, I tune in. I mean, you all are funny. And it's like, do you do you even watch the show? So it's 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 interesting because you never know with podcasts, as I'm sure you can relate to. You never yeah, know who's you listening. Never know. You just don't know. So it's been fun. Sometimes you, yeah, sometimes you just record and you forget that people are going to listen to it, mm -hmm. right? And then someone comes up to you and they're just like, oh, hey, I heard your podcast. And you're all, <laughs> oh, you listen to that? And yeah. you forget that's why you're doing it. And it's like, oh, And Denver you know, and I share I think, personal yeah. stories. Denver and I get, mm -hmm. you know, we're comfortable. And, and that's the danger of talking to a friend with the microphone in front of your face. You can get a little loose lip. You forget. Yeah. <laughs> loose yeah. You can get a little loose lipped and we share, we have gone there and shared personal stories and, you know, while relating to Miranda and Charlotte and, and Seema and Lisa Todd Wexley. It's a good show. I encourage you to revisit. <laughs> I mean, I would revisit. I mean, I get the cultural significance and I know exactly kind of why it's succeeding and like culturally why it is. And it's very interesting. Like it's camp, but it's not. It's mm -hmm. like, it's, it's nostalgic, but it's also you ridiculous know, very self-aware <laughs> you know it's it's so interesting i don't know um but he's four okay so you chose the lovely film from 2003 called bringing down the house so i wanted to kind of start doing something new not new this is not like a curveball brian our producer but it's just like i really want to set up kind of what was happening around this year or when this the year it was produced or when it was released which was 2003 mm -hmm. 20 years ago jesus christ wow um so beyonce's first solo album dangerously in love came out that year or topped the chart billboard charts that year uh britney spears became the youngest singer to receive a star on the hollywood walk of fame chicago won best picture at the oscars uh Hairspray won Best Musical at the Tonys, and funny enough, the director of this film directed Hairspray the Musical film adaptation. I wonder if that's how Queen Latifah yeah. ended up in the film, because Queen Latifah is in the film for Hairspray. Yeah, I think they became friends. I think I think Hairspray came out before... Well, no, did it? Yeah, before... Uh, uh, um, oh, before Bringing Down the No, house. no, it came out after. But they were, they were connected somehow through right, the, right. The, the Hairspray of it all. Uh, Michael Jordan played his last game in the NBA while and LeBron James was drafted into the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, and then also what else happened this year? The third generation iPod came out. Remember that, yes. which included the touch wheel, which yes. was revolutionary. And this is interesting. <laughs> the Supreme Court deci decisively upholds the right of affirmative action in higher education in June 23rd, twenty. Oh three, isn't that wild? And look, at, look at the giant step backwards we've taken twenty years later. I was also a freshman in high school in two thousand three. Yeah, <laughs> when I think back, I like, was fresh out of college, so I'm old. But it was also the year that Dixie Chicks's Natalie uh, Maines said out loud that she's ashamed that George Bush was from. I stand. And then they initially got. Uh, 
they got basically blacklisted from the country music scene after you know what, that, I think right? that was my first yeah. time having a front row display in when I think pop culture the Dixie Chicks when mm-hmm. people turned on them that was my first time having a front row seat to like Republican right wing extremism like y'all bought all these records yeah. only to run them over and I do want to shout out yeah. the, the Chicks because I know they're the Chicks now <laughs> But that damn the not chi- oh, ready. Yeah, sorry, yeah, the chicks. Yeah, the chicks. So, that damn song, not ready to make nice. Oh, that uh-huh. that still gets played in my house. I love their comeback single, yeah. not ready to make nice, baby. A bop. And let's <laughs> and let's not forget again when they joined Beyonce on the stage. Was yes. it at this country? That was the country, the fiftieth uh, yeah. anniversary, and everyone yeah. was talking about how uh, Beyonce and the Dixie Chicks are. Uh, excuse, well, the Chicks now, but they were both the Chicks, yeah, from Texas. At whose uh, the group names were DC. There was Destiny's Child and Dixie Chicks, oh. and both from Texas. Oh, and they were shaking the oh my table. God. Yeah, work. Yeah. Well, so like all this stuff was happening because I wanted to kind of put it into context. This is like, oh, we always talk about on this podcast about like this was of a time, right? Mm-hmm. So, bringing down the house, written uh, by Jason Filardi, I think they wrote a movie called Seventeen Again, which I actually liked with Zac Efron. Um, Adam Shankman, who directed Hairspray, and also Adam Shankman is kind of the, I think he's Emmy winning choreographer. He, he, he's very known in choreography, but he's also a director-producer. Oh, this wow. movie starred Steve Martin, Queen Latifah, Eugene Levy, Gene Smart, Joan Ployright, uh, Betty White, Matt Lutz, Steve Harris, and Missy Pyle. The film was released in, on March 7, 2003 by Touchstone Pictures and distributed you by forgot, Buena Vista. Um, you forgot who else Did I see that one person? Uh, her name is slipping, is slipping my mind right now. She's, she's in Hacks. Jean Smart. Oh, Jean Smart. Yes, oh, she's also I, in oh, this film. Smart. Did I not say Jean Smart? Oh, she's listed here. I probably skipped over. Sorry, Jean Smart. We love you. Icon. Um, but, <laughs> um, but it was distributed by Buena Vista Pictures. All of this means Disney, basically. Mm-hmm. And this is the summary of the film via Rotten Tomatoes. The Rotten Tomatoes uh, uh, um, summary. I find their summary is the most palpable. Okay. Uh, Lawyer Peter Sanderson, Steve Martin, wants to dive back into dating after his divorce and has a hard time meeting the right women. But he lucks out with online dating and meets a fellow lawyer. The two agree to meet in the flesh, but the woman he meets, an escaped African-American convict named Charlene, Queen Latifah, you're not, you're shaking your head already, is not what he expected. Peter is freaked out, but Charlene convinces him to take her case and prove her innocent. And along the way, the way they learn to become friends. So, Sharp, mm-hmm. what is your connection to this movie and why did you choose it? So when you first tapped Let's my shoulder, <laughs> you know, when you first tapped my shoulder to come join your show, this is the first movie that that came to mind. I mean, because granted, there are tons of problematic, you know, films and things of the past, but I didn't want to discuss any type of dramas or any type of like I wanted to laugh on your show. And so bringing down the house is something that I still watch today. It's almost like a comfort film and I can acknowledge all of like the jokes and things that were made 20 years ago that wouldn't dare be put into a script today. And so when I looked at the description of your show and what you were asking of me, this is the first film that came to mind because I still 
like I said, it's problematic. And, you know, people could someone could crank out a whole dissertation as to why it's not acceptable by today's, you know, standards. But it is still just a I just crack up. I cry laughing at bringing down the house. Okay, that's okay. So like right off the bat, the thing that I love about this movie is that there there's this about fun chemistry between Steve Martin and Queen Latifah. Oh, they yes. like they play all I think their chemistry is really good. It's just unfortunate that they were in this movie. Yeah, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, but it's still a good movie now. Yeah, <laughs> it's still. I'm gonna. Def- I, I, will, I will always defend bringing down the house. It's still a good movie. <laughs> you know what? It's fine. <laughs> I said it's fine. Problems no, included. I, I think, problems, but also we always talk about this. I love our for one of our former guests, Amy Nicholson coined a term called context culture and when this movie was released you know her movie we did revenge of the nerds and and like there's a whole you know rape scene in that movie that Mm. you know isn't really a rape scene but it is a rape scene but i'm not you know saying it's right but in context culture when it was in the 80s people didn't even look at it that way uh-huh. so it's like all it's but it doesn't excuse it at all exactly. it just is it's like oh this is why they got away with it and then when we watch when i was watching bring it down bring it down the house which is like a couple hours ago i kind of just finished it and rewatching it i was just like oh well we got a lot away with a lot back then mm-hmm. like <laughs> we did and yeah, you had and it Betty was very White of the time. You had the icon Betty White standing on the lawn saying, "I thought I heard Negro. That would never fly today." Is everything okay over there, Peter? I thought I heard Negro. Mr. Sanderson, Ooh. is everything okay? I thought I heard Negro. No, no Negro spoken here. Oh. Well, good night then. Yep. Good night. Also, there was one point where she was just like, oh, I thought I saw Latinos skulking in your yard. Yes. And or, something about if they're not carrying a leaf blower, yes. we don't yes. want them. She said, <laughs> but you know what? She played that part to a level of accuracy that the American people needed to see. Yes. Because yes. that is yes. exactly and- how women of that Democrat, like she knew she was in an affluent neighborhood. She was an older white woman. And that's exactly how they speak when they feel that they're in safe spaces. That is a reflection on culture for some people. And oh my God, you're so, I mean, I didn't look at it the way you just framed it. I looked at it as like, oh, yeah. That was not an exaggeration. That was a reflection Mm. of, of, of truth. When people feel like they're in safe spaces, especially people of certain backgrounds, that is how they will speak about people of other backgrounds. And she did say she thought they were casing the joint. And let's not forget what she said to little Georgie. When when she when he was oh, yeah. going over to play cards across the street with all those old ladies, and she said, "Don't comb your hair like that." You look at, and she looked like she she said, "You don't want to look like a faggot." Literally. I wasn't going to say it. I was going to let you say it. But she I know, said. I mean, but, but listen, <laughs> it, it, it is just, it's kind of like, I don't know if I'm laughing because it's funny or if it, because it's true. Or because it's Betty White. Or because it's Betty White. because it's Betty White. Because she was do hilarious. You think, do you think, I like, I think the only other like old white woman that would let do that is like Cloris Leachman. 
Like, it, I, I, not many old white women could get away with that. No. I, I, I want to say. You'd have yeah, to yeah. be a revered yeah. comedic actress. You know, Rue Mcclanahan right. could have gotten away with it as well, who played Blanche Any on the, of the Golden, Golden Girls. Girls. Yeah. Any oh my of the God, Golden could Girls. you imagine B. Arthur mm-hmm. delivering those lines? <laughs> it would have been even funnier. <laughs> and then, like, knowing how progressive she was, uh-huh. like, oh, that would have been amazing. But no, it, it, it's just so interesting because when I was. This this movie was so of the time because I felt like in the early 2000s, maybe late, late 90s, well into the mid, early aughts, mid aughts, we always had this kind of storyline of like a working white affluent man is an absent father and he's up for the big promotion. But then a wrench get thrown, you know, gets thrown in. Mm-hmm. And then he learns the meaning of what family and love mm-hmm. is. It was very much Didn't that. that. With, it was a, uh, it was, yeah. I'm thinking of like Liar Liar with Jim Carrey. That that's yeah. another it's one like of very those formulaic. Type. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very formulaic. And I love that kind of thing. You know, I love I love kind of like you said, this is to a certain extent like comfort yeah. movie food. Like it's like oh, you know exactly what you're gonna get and it's not trying to be something it's like, yeah, yes, it is racist. Yes, they, but, it, has, it again, has some racial, yeah. a lot of racial undertones, but the, the uh-huh. performances, oh my gosh, Queen Latifah yeah. as Charlene, the perform, and when she was whooping, I can't remember the actress's name, but oh, Ashley. Missy Pyle, Missy Pyle. Yes, yeah, Missy the, Pyle. Yeah. their scenes together were so damn problematic, but also so damn funny. <laughs> Look, I came here to warn you, you keep disrespecting me, and it's going to get rough around here. Back off, Shaniqua. You don't scare me. You know, my favorite yeah. scene, and I don't know if we'll we'll get to this, but I just have to address no, no, no. when when Let's keep on talking. Yeah, talk about whatever. Yeah, but you know, when Peter huh? invites Mrs. Arness, Virginia Arness, the heiress, over for dinner <laughs> and asks Charlene to basically be the maid, and then how that shows up, because that is a scene that has me crying real tears when when Mrs. Arness begins to singing her solo at that damn dinner table. Mama, is Masa going to sell us tomorrow? Yes, yes, yes. Queen Latif, everybody's okay. comedic timing was on point. The subject matter was terrible, but it is a, I think it is a testament to if the writing is done right and the actors are doing the good acting, people are going to laugh. People and it and it wasn't. Even, go ahead, go ahead. I don't know. I was gonna. I sorry to interrupt. I was just gonna say, even if the writing is bad, I do feel like like I'm not saying that this was like horrid or anything. I'm just saying like these actors, they were. I feel like they did things with the material that could otherwise go to the like total like oh yeah kind of go awry yeah because. It, it, it takes because even the kids, I mean, the daughter and the son, yeah, they did a great job. You know, the extras yeah. when when Charlene throws the house party. Remember, Peter comes home and everybody <laughs> kicking it in the pool. They teaching uh, Georgie, I think that's the little boy's name. They teaching him how to gamble. There's you know, but there's also those heartwarming aspects, like you mentioned, like when the daughter went out on the bad date and how she called mm-hmm. Charlene. She didn't want to call her father. She didn't want to call her mother. She called Charlene to come to the rescue. And you know, Charlene shows up and in the harmful stereotypical trope, you know, she roughs up the scene, you know, and rescues yeah. the daughter, you know? 
Yeah, I was thinking because it is it is just interesting to see. I was watching this. Would you say that this movie was a kind of a version of the magical Negro trope? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There were definitely yeah. there were definitely now it it had its 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 themes of don't judge a book by its cover, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it definitely yeah. had Queen Latifah was definitely served as a, there were aspects of magical negroness, magical negress. Yeah. In this film. <laughs> um because you know she was doing the, her like character that, was doing though. what she that had sounds, to do. I like that magical that I like that. That sounds like a Ooh, it, it sounds empowering. No, I, um, no, no, <laughs> no, that is not, I'm in, not in that context because when I was watching it, I was like, yeah, she's funny. And then it made me, I don't know if you had the opportunity to see, or if you're familiar with it. I saw a play called Fetch Clay Make Man recently over here in LA directed by Debbie Allen. Ray Fisher was oh. in it. It's about this unlikely uh, relationship between Mahalad Ali and Step and Fetch It. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Step and Fetch It. Yes. I guess the first black Hollywood superstar or something like that. So it's about their unlikely uh, uh, friendship. And then I was watching them portray Step and Fetch It and, you know, knowing what I know of, of him, being a vaudeville actor who was known as the laziest man alive, basically bolstering stereotypes, but also becoming an icon at the same time in this mm. weird, like this problematic fave kind of way, because it's like he kind of took a bullet, right? To, mm -hmm. to, to kind of pave, open the door. I think in the play, he, he, he says something to the effect of all, I snuck in the back door so you could walk into the front. And wow. yeah, so I was like, so I'm watching this. This is like kind of what I was, I was watching this and I was like watching how they, how um, Queen Latifah's, character of Charlene is introduced as quote unquote ghetto and you know very urban and I was uh -huh. just like yeah this would not fly today but also Queen Latifah knew exactly what she was doing and yeah she knew it was problematic at that time I'm sure she did I'm she's a smart woman yes right? yeah and but every, also, yeah yeah and but also I mean look at the look at the conversation again I forgot the term that you used as far as like cultural oh yeah go with, yeah uh, uh context culture context yeah, 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 culture yeah, yeah. the the conversation yeah. at the time made it so that even if she didn't know that it was problematic it was still okay you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. I don't believe that she mm. would have taken the role had she known it was problematic. Because it's not like Queen Latifah was out here hurting for a check. She was a bona fide star. Yeah. So she probably looked at it like all the rest of us did who flocked to the theaters and who bought the DVD. And just as this <laughs> opportunity to work with Steve Martin, work mm. opposite Steve Martin and have a good time. And you read the script and it, it's funny. It, I'm, I imagine in 2003, yeah. it's funny as hell. Because like I said, in this household, it does still hold <laughs> up. It does still hold well, up. But also, I wonder if like all this kind of role, part of the reason why Queen Latifah would take it, even though it does bolster stereotypes. But yeah. listen, that's Hollywood for you, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I feel like if I were in her shoes or I would be wondering, I would love to ask her if she felt that it was her way of also protecting that role because she knows how to handle that space. Mm -hmm. And in, uh, in another person's hands, it would not 
be taken care of well you know what i mean like yeah I can, it's kind of like i can't imagine yeah. anyone else to do this role like maybe maybe yeah. monique maybe at the time coming maybe. off the heels of yeah. the parkers yeah. maybe her but you know what also i think op working opposite you know i don't know steve martin personally honestly yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it also takes a very special co-star to also understand like steve martin is a comedic actor he does not appear to be problematic and i think had he been a problematic co-star or someone with problematic politics that we know of it also would have been a different film yeah you know yeah and and he's kind of like almost Steve Martin kid is on that kind of level of Tom Hanks, right? He, he yes, he's like all, everyone he's loves America's him. like everyone loves him, and he's an icon. And and like even if he does something problematic, you're just like, oh, you know what? It's okay. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, it's kind of in trustworthy hands when you look in, at this, in this cast, interesting way. Yeah, the two stars are beloved by America. Everybody loves Queen yeah. Latifah, and everybody loves Steve Martin. So that's an automatic that's selling That's also point. just good marketing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's money right there. They bring, they put butts in seats. Yes. And when we talk about the box office later, you'll see why. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, but I think one of the things that I also wanted to put is just like, basically, in this another interesting problematic talking point about the sexualization of a black female, right? Mm -hmm. um, about especially how Eugene Levy. Yes. It's super duper horny for Queen Latifah, like yes, out of control. To the, and I don't think again, this is testimony to the actors in another person's hands outside mm -hmm. of Eugene Levy. It could have been creepy. This one was just absurd. You know what I mean? It was I don't absurd, know if you felt the same it was, way. It yeah. was absurd. I agree, but it was also part of the course because I remember at the time I didn't even know yeah. Eugene Levy's name. I just knew him as the dad from American Pie. And he kind of played, the, you know, the same role. It was the same kind of like linear, kind of weird, but dry role. And it well. was, you know, he, even he and Queen Latifah, like that text message or whatever message it was, when it was like, you got, you got me straight tripping, boo. I'd like to dip you in cheese and spread you over a cracker. Boy, you are some kind of freaky. You got me straight tripping, boo. Like when he assimilated <laughs> to try to get to her, you know, it was objectification, but I think about, but there also was aspects of romance, right? So he wasn't talking about yeah. her body and the rotundness of her butt or her boobs. He was, his character was really trying to romance and get Queen Latifah, get get uh, Charlene on his get arm. Down. You know, and I think about when Charlene was trying to get Peter back into the dating game. And remember, she had him like, you remember they were wrestling on the couch and he was grabbing her breasts yes. and, you know, like trying to now grab, grab him. Grab him. Yeah, hey, baby. Now hey. What you going to do? Huh? What you going to do? Yeah, mama, you going to be my tawdry little one? Damn right. Now get the hump. And I think Betty yeah, White's character, like, yeah. doesn't she walk in on that or something like that? And he throws yeah. her off. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily look at Eugene Levy's character, his affection towards Charlene as, as a sexualization of, of Queen Latifah's character. Because oh. it really did, if my memory serves me correct, it seemed mm. like a romance that we don't always see. Now, was he persistent and annoying and harassing her? Yes. Yes. <laughs> But I think for at the time, given Queen Latifah's, given the just the average size of, a, of an American woman 
and Queen Latifah being this black woman and her shape and who she, the, the, the optics of that were something that challenged what we normally saw in American media at the time in 2003, when we get to discuss so who's true. worthy of romance, not even love, but who's worthy of being pursued, who's worthy of being romanced. Yes. Oh my God. You made me look at that in a totally different way. I mean, I think, I mean, I didn't think, and I wasn't like, oh, I'm offended, but I was just like, oh, well, you also could see, a lot of people would see that as some sort of sex over-sexualization, but at the same time, you do see Queen Latifah or Charlene still has agency over her. Yeah, and like, she's charming. She controls, yeah. She's yeah. charming. So, she, you know, and, I, and I'm not, I don't want to make it seem like, oh, the ABCs of sexualization because his character yeah, did not yeah. mention certain body parts and how round it was or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I did see through the threads of him pursuing her, he was charmed by her. He had never met anyone like her. He was the cool lawyer. Remember, Peter was the, the one with the stick in his ass. I want to reopen my case. And what did you do? Smoke some homies on a drive-by? Oh, you a regular gangster, huh? Uptight, His yeah. His co-worker, Eugene Levy's character, was the chill lawyer, you know, and was trying to, you know, so it... it, it Let it, him loosen up. Yeah, so I think it added some yeah. color to to his character, no pun intended, but added some color <laughs> to, to his, his character and how he navigated. I'm gonna make myself a little more luscious for you, okay? Okay, precious. Well, also, well, uh, Eugene Levy and uh, Steve Martin appeared together, you know, in Father of the Bride, the yes. first one. Yeah, yeah. Eugene Levy character ended up buying the house or whatever. But no, I think it, I think it's just very interesting because I feel like this is where casting comes into, like, mm -hmm. really. People just don't realize that, oh, yeah, of course they want to cast Queen Latifah, Steve Martin in these movies, but... They also make money and they also are good at their jobs. You know what I mean? It's just like the fact what I remember when when seeing the previews for this movie, I guess 2000 was three just out of college. And I was all, you know, idealistic, freshly fresh grad. 9-11 had just happened. You yeah. Know? <laughs> so everyone. But also it speaks to the time. Everyone was looking to laugh. Right. Yeah. Um. But at the same time, it kind of speaks to this time because 2003, I was looking through, you know, when I was doing research for this and when we were talking about this, I was like, oh, it was a very interesting time. It was right after, I want to say, in the space of film, uh, 2002, we had 8 Mile come out, right? Eminem. Mm -hmm. Eminem was having, it was, I think it was a very Eminem moment back then. Like he was, I want to say at his peak, right? Or oh, yeah, that definitely like, was his peak. Yeah. 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 Then we start to see these movies and these comedies come out about white people co-opting or, you know, inhabiting black culture or hip hop culture mm -hmm. for the sake of comedy. Right. We saw, well, one of them is bringing down the house. But then I started kind of looking more and more and I was all, oh, my God, Malibu's Most Finest came out that Malibu's year. Most the Wanted. The Jamie can't. Wanted, 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 Finest, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, yeah. Yeah, that it came out that year. Um, Marcy X came out that year. No one knows much about that because it was horrible. And it starred Damon Wayans and it starred uh, Lisa Kudrow. Really? Um, so it was like, yeah, Marcy X. You could already say that's going to be problematic there because, you know, Malcolm, Malcolm X. Malcolm X, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And then even in 2001, we had Save the Last Dance come out. Oh, God. Um, yeah. It's, but all the way before that, I was just like kind of doing this deep dive into like, oh, how has, well, you know, the, the dominant culture. culture. Yeah. It's weird. Because you know what? what I also thought like about we, as you were speaking, I also thought about that was around the time of Christina's tripped era. And Christina had the locks oh, in her hair. Right. And the, like that was like the culture. Like everybody was yo, yo, yoing it up without acknowledging the source material. It's just all of a sudden I'm I'm so urban. I'm I'm Christina from around the block. Jennifer Lopez was collaborating with Ja Rule for every song and doing this hip hop. Like that was literally everybody was tapped into black culture in the worst ways. <laughs> In the worst ways. Everybody had a, a dreadlock, a micro braid, a cornrow. And like I said, they were yo-yo-yoing it up. They were from round the block. Oh, my God. You're so right. Because that's also when Justin Timberlake got his cornrows around yes, that time. Yes, he had right? his, his little fro. <laughs> and that was right before Gone. When he was really, when he oh. was really a biracial Justin. When he was the lead singer on Gone with NSYNC. <laughs> <laughs> He said biracial Justin. Oh, no, because he tapped into it. Justin Timberlake <laughs> played at one point. He was really, like, towing a fine he line. Was, he was almost in Rachel Dolezal's zone, yes. right? Would you, would you he, say? Yes. Yeah. He was towing he, a fine line. But everybody was tapped was, into Black American culture and not referencing source material. And also not even, from what I can remember at least, not even leaving a door cracked or creating any opportunities Right. Everybody was just take, 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 taking from the culture. And then as we see, as time has changed uh, and progressed, people just put it down and moved on and went back to, oh to who they knew themselves to be. <laughs> it, it's just so because like I'll, I use this, you know, as the, 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 this um, this movie as like I was just like, oh, where was I? I mean, I just had graduated. We and like but also. It was like this really everyone was influenced by hip hop during that time. It's like what TRL era, almost like uh, uh, the VMAs all these... were very black VM... around that time. Yes, very black. Yes, they were. Yeah, and it was, and it's like all I just remember. But that's also a time when hip hop had this like solid identity. Like it was, it was that was the thing. I yeah. also just thought about two thousand one was when the BET Awards came. That was the first BET Awards was summer two thousand one. So we were at a very interesting point in the culture as far as like black influence and black culture dominating and really having a front row seat. I just the more you speak, the more I'm thinking of like yeah, what was right? going on during that era. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm thinking because I'm also thinking because I graduated two thousand one, two thousand two, and I remember I started. I was getting really obsessed with, not obsessed, but I was very much deep in like the roots of hip hop culture. Like not just like what hip hop was, but like the four elements, mm -hmm. MCing, you know, turntablism, graffiti, b-boy. And then like kind of like breaking that down and like exploring the history of hip hop it through kind of like an anthropological lens. But even through that, I was, I was affected by this like influx of like everyone was... I, like the more people I'm thinking of it for real, it's like mm -hmm. this era was a really good era of like hip hop, and everyone was influenced. They had a, I remember every single song had a featuring a rapper. Oh remember? yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> and 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 we can everyone. Think Mariah Carey is the one who started <laughs> that trend. No, I give it to her, Mariah. No one was no really room. being a singer featuring rappers prior to Mariah Carey doing it. 
And if anyone begs Ooh. to differ, my mentions are open at Charcessa. <laughs> Mariah kicked it off. I'm, no, with, I'm, try, I'm with, trying to think. Yeah. I'm, she had Bone Thugs and think. Harmony. She had ODB. That's my fave. She, she kicked it off and made it the standard. She, of course, Diddy. Well, um, oh my God, you're right. I Diddy love, wasn't yeah. a singer. I even think back, speaking Produced. to Christina Aguilera, that era, the lead singer, I mean, the lead single from Stripped was Dirty, featuring, what was it, Meth? It was one of the Red bands. Man. Red Man. Red Man. Yeah. yeah. Red Man. Wow. I love, I'm not gonna lie, I mean, I know everyone was co-opting back then, but that era of music, kind of, it, it felt like fun. Now it just a, feels confusing. Before, hold on, I, I also just thought, well, actually, no, that was a few years just, before. That was like 2000, 2021, but I was thinking about uh, Pink when she was Black Pink, and I'm not talking about the K-pop group. <laughs> this is before Misunderstood. Wait, Remember when she, she, she started being White Pink when she did Let's Get This Party Started. That was the, but those oh, first what? three singles, first two, three singles that oh, were- uh, Most Men Want a Man with the Bling Bling. Most girls. That one. <laughs> most girls, sir. <laughs> And there you go, I think, which was written by Candy Burris. Both of those might have been penned by Candy Burris. But that's when she was black. Oh, I wouldn't. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. I, I believe that was the one the, when they were trying to make her into something. And then she was like, then I think she was under contract. Like, yeah, she was with she LaFace becoming... at the time, I believe, with Babyface and, and L.A. Reid's label. And that's when she had her little uh, pink, you know, highlighter pink Anita Baker cut. It was like spiky and <laughs> and and new. Yes. And she was giving very racially ambiguous. I did not know Pink was a white woman when I first, when I first was introduced to her in sixth grade. And matter of fact, I'll never forget there was a rumor, this is pre-Google, but there was a rumor that There You Go was Kelly Rowland's first solo single when I was in sixth grade, because it was right after Destiny's Child had broken up and then Michelle and Farrah had joined and there was still an uncertainty in the air as far as like, <laughs> are these two gonna stick around? And I'll never forget in sixth grade, in, in Mrs. H, I'll just say Mrs. H's class, I was arguing with people because I was a huge Destiny's Child fan and I know those girls' okay. voices. I was like, that is not Kelly Rowland singing. And there were people arguing me down to the ground like Kelly Rowland is no longer <laughs> with Destiny's Child. I heard it on the radio this morning. That's Kelly, that's Kelly. I'll never forget that. And then the video comes oh. out and I'm like, she got Kelly Rowland's haircut, but that ain't Kelly Rowland. <laughs> oh, my, oh my God, that was a, I love that breakdown by the way. Oh, I still listen. I I got fond childhood memories in in the schoolyard. Okay, <laughs> I do. I do. I my only Destiny's Child memory. I mean, it's not even I because like I saw because they hung out in Houston back in the day, mm -hmm. you know. And when I went to college, I would see Solange at the Galleria in Houston once in a while. It was when she was pregnant with her firstborn, and I remember she was all decked out in camo, and that was like, oh, look, there's that was Solange around 2004. The Galleria. That was around 2004, oh, okay. but what I will say, since we're talking about my girls, I have been <laughs> Destiny's Child, a super fan of Destiny's Child since 1999. I will never forget, when I Me saw too. the Bills, Bills, Bills video, that is when I locked in, it was right after the Spice Girls. I've always been a big girl group person, okay? So I grew up with In Vogue and SWV and TLC. Mm -hmm. And I was huge on the Spice Girls. And once they had broken up, TLC had released fan mail and I was spinning that. And then I was down South with my cousins and the Bills, Bills, Bills video came on. And I said, who are these four girls in this hair salon introducing me to new vocabulary <laughs> words? Talking about trifling and audacity. Have me with the encyclopedia and dictionary. 
And so that's when I fell in love with them, but they were my first concert. And to, to mention, that was in 2001, the TRL tour. They were my first ever concert. And uh, I spoke to Solange. I had a full conversation with Solange, full conversation with her. And this is before I knew Beyonce even had a sibling. They did a mall tour and they stopped by River Oaks Mall in Calumet City, Illinois, which is a suburb. And they sang the gospel medley acapella. This is when they were first a trio. This is pre-independent woman. And this is when they're a trio. Uh. Like This is around that time, like 2000. And I remember I was waiting on them to come out and there was a girl hanging out on the side of the stage reading a book and I struck up conversation with her and I just, I'm pretty sure she thought I was damn crazy because I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait to meet them. I had a full conversation with her and it wasn't until years, it wasn't until years later, I'm watching the TV. It might've been Cribs or something like their episode. And I discover that's the girl that I was talking to and Beyonce is saying, my sister Solange. So I had a full conversation with her. <laughs> you had a full psychotic conversation with Solange. Full saying on stand. You were obsessed with her sister. Yes. And she was all, mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. But also her sister. Listen, her bandmates too. Listen, I, I'm I'm a girl who is a DC girl to the core. I love me some Beyonce, but I also love me some Michelle no, and Kelly. But yes, I'm sure she was I like, love- that person is crazy. <laughs> I, you know, want to... I miss me a girl group moment. I mean, I love, I'm sure you know Flo. Yes. You're familiar with it. Yeah, I love I like them. them. I, I like love, them. I love, a, anytime, if you know, the way to get me anyone to repost anything, give me a rich harmony acapella. Mm-hmm. I'm done. I'm, I'm melted. Well, I, that's I love rare nowadays. Acapella. Yeah. <laughs> that, I know. That, that's very rare nowadays. That's why Flo is so dope because. You yeah, because I really it. wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't a Fifth Harmony girl. I felt like that wasn't for my well, age demographic. I. But there's yeah, something I aged out. Yeah, there's something nostalgic <laughs> about flow. There's something very like in their harmonies, the beats that they choose, the production, the verses. It's something that's that's nostalgic back to that dream era in 3LW and dream. Destiny's Child. Yeah, era. It's kind of like it's giving like black 2.0 kind yes, of energy. 702. Yes. 702. Yes, 702. Yeah. I, I, I'm loving it. Um, okay. Yeah, we just we, went we on a whole. <laughs> you know what? It's still, it's still, it's still, we're, we're, we're still, we're, we're still in it. Everything <laughs> you were talking about still has to deal with bringing down the house, hip hop culture, uh-huh. hip hop culture, because this is, it's essentially a hip hop movie. We because, do, we also get Kelly yeah. Price covering uh, Shaka Khan in this movie. I just thought about that. I know. Ain't nobody. I love that. Love me better. Love me better. Yes. I love, you know, Every time I picture myself working hard to a goal, that's the song that plays to my head. Like if I picture it, it's a montage in my movie yeah. and I'm working to like kind of save the church or something. Yeah. It's that song. And listen, Shaka has the catalog. Okay. Shaka Khan going to get you right each and every time. <laughs> I love me some Shaka. Um, but, you know, how do you think, Oh, well, like after watching this or and then like even watching it now, how do you think uh, uh, bringing down the house has like impacted, I guess, like just black representation or representation in general in film or TV better or worse? Ooh. Like, how do you, do you or do you even think it has changed? So, no, I don't think that it has changed. I think that because the veil, I don't even know if veil is the right word here, but the the veil of of the comedy is so thick and so prominent 
I can't say that it's moved the needle in conversation or culturally at all. I think because everyone has a reverence and a respect for Queen Latifah that people just view the work as it is. Like she's literally a favorite of so many people. Like she's unproblematic. Everybody loved the Queen collection makeup and living Mm. single. Like (laughs) she is the older cousin in a lot of our heads, you know, and I guess to the newer generation, the auntie. Like everyone loves Dana Owens. And so I don't think that this movie garners like a cultural critique other than it does play into stereotypes, but she is vindicated in the end when it is proven that she has not been lying to Peter this whole time. At one point they make it so that you question that, you know, when when her ex-boyfriend comes and visits her in the backyard and stuff, you like, oh no, everybody's so, cause you've you've fallen in love with her character by then. So it's like, oh no. And then, you know, she's vindicated in the end. And I think that that's part of the saving grace because as you mentioned, this theme, this movie has a lot of different interlocking and intersecting themes. Um, Like I said, don't judge a book by its cover. Be open to meeting new people. Um, And I like the fact that even with that magical negress, you know, sprinkling on some of it, 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 he learned a lot. Peter learned a lot. And it wow. wasn't in a preachy, teachy way. It was almost like he was learning at his own pace, teaching himself. It, she uh-huh. never sat him down at a table and, and pleaded her humanity or campaigned oh, for her humanity. Oh, you're so right. He had to come to terms with that by himself and end up showing up for her in the end. That was the ultimate test, showing up for this person in the end. And so I think that that also saves it because it's not like a she she never there's never this dramatic monologue from Charlene of why she deserves to be. None of that ever occurs. You know, it's it's him on his own terms. And he has the assistance of his cool ass colleague, Dan Levy's character (laughs) and his kids. Oh, yeah, yeah. Eugene Uh, Levy and and his kids. Cause the daughter was oh, yeah. really like dad, like it showed generationally that gap there. Cause the daughter was always team Charlene from the time she got there. Like, yeah. you know, uh. it's like she, she brought some sort of balance to that family mm. that they didn't deserve. If you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I appreciate like as formulaic as this is as formulaic as, you know, predictable to a certain extent. And, you know, there are problems in it. There's like kind of there is no ill intent no. within kind of the the, 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 the the things. And I I think the platonic relationship between Steve Martin and and, and and Queen Latifah is so there's something to be said about that as well. Like this mm-hmm. heteronormative they're just they're and they both have sexual agency. They, they like mm-hmm. they're still living their own lives separately, but they still there's something very interesting. It's a black woman and a white man at that. You know, it's mm-hmm. like it's so interesting to see. And again, that's kind of like why I I like having this podcast because we could be talking about something that I didn't say I hated this, but I was just like, oh, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> but after I like talking now, but it's did just you like laugh? Oh. I laugh. Yep, because. I love because it's so stupid, but also there were funny parts, you yeah, know? It's, yeah. And it's, it, I think it's solid in that, but I think what I liked about this film, this movie, is that it was more about, not really about the movie itself, but, but what the movie was doing at the time and kind of how we look at it now. Mm-hmm. And 
Th- yeah, I could be just looking at, oh, it's just like a hip-hop thing. But I was like, no, this is like kind of a low-down cultural commentary that we can't, that's kind of like being escaped as physical comedy and hijinks and clownery, You're right? You're absolutely correct. You're absolutely yeah. correct. Because all when I look at, I think the character's name was Ashley, she's nothing more than, than, than the descendant of Betty White's character. That yeah. legacy is continuing in that way. You know what I'm saying? Like it shows, yeah. it, 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 like you, you worded that, you put a bow on that perfectly as far as it offers a cultural commentary. When you strip away all of the components, all of the laughs and stuff, there is the underbelly of a cultural commentary there, but you're so busy laughing mm. that you might miss it. But you're gonna walk away yeah. with, with something on your spirit if you paid attention. Yes. As to how we interact with each other and how we interact I'm with going. our neighbors and how we treat people mm. and how we show up for empathy. people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Empathy, empathy. And also, you know what? Okay, so the scene where uh, Steve Martin is kind of the, fi- the final act and he kind of dresses up urban. Oh, God. In a, in a... <laughs> oh, God. And goes to the club. And goes to the club and talks to uh, Charlene's boy. Um, but her also, ex-boyfriend who her ex-boyfriend, we find out sorry. set her up, literally robbed the bank or whatever yes. and, you know, put on a padded bra a and a wig yeah. and, and set her up. You know, um, and the whole time she's trusting him, thinking that like, like it's yeah, it was yeah. But your point with Steve Martin yo yo yoing it up in the club. Yeah, yo yo yoing it up, which was a popular thing again in this era. Look at the movies we just saw: Malibu is Most Wanted, and like yeah, Marcy X, and all this kind of like. It's a kind of a different kind of blackface, if I'm being if I'm being honest. Yeah. It's like a blackface you could get away with. I think it's that's also kind a black of what face, it is. If you notice, it's a blackface that was co-signed by black people. Damn boy, you looking all kind of stupid. Really? Cause I got this outfit from your mama. <laughs> that's the gag. <laughs> And that's that how we get to gag. that's how we get to this present day conversation that has bubbled up about who's invited to the cookout. It's a certain cosa, <laughs> cultural co-signing as to do you are you down mm. enough? Even though we've gotten away from that now, because it's not about are you down enough and can you do masterpiece theater and rap along to <laughs> Little Kim, but also on a systemic level, do you understand the privilege? That, like you can strip this down. Yeah, you know we see the you know it goes into everything with the digital blackface, and I think there's something called the Hot Cheeto Girl that a lot of white uh, TikTok creators, oh, a lot of white TikTok creators were were participating. If you look, if you Google it, I'm sure it'll come up. And it was basically oh. like these white girls who cosplayed, I guess quote-unquote ghetto black girls and this is without darkening their skin but there was like in high school i went through this phase where i dated nothing but black men and wore a side ponytail and and got my acrylic nails and they call them hot they call themselves hot cheeto girls but then when they get to college they assimilate back into being you know megan mccain and then they you know they ride off with their frat boy their investment banker and all of that is erased and so it became this problematic trend on tiktok where they i think they were called reformed hot cheeto girls it's a real thing and i think that it all factors into you know that this conversation of like i said a black face where at the time it was co-signed by black people and that could have been a reflection of the culture with 
Like mm. Eminem never said the N word, but also he was surrounded by, he had his group D12. Eminem is who introduced us, him and Dr. Dre introduced us to 50 Cent. And that was G Unit. Yeah. So it's all this extensions of different types of the Christina Aguilera's and Justin Timberlake. Everybody's doing blue eyed soul and showing yeah, up yeah. on oh, urban yeah. radio, you know? So it, I think that it's that- all mixed up in there. Yeah. It's kind of like the urbanization of culture kind of thing. Of, but like kind of like because it's always been happening. But in the early 2000s, it was kind of this new wave of oh, like it was loud. This kind of like, yeah, it was loud because we, you know, because of I want to say something even like to the like likes of like Death Row and Bad Boy and all these labels that were everyone knew what Bad Boy was. But mm-hmm. before that, would you even know what LaFace was like oh, only if you were really deep in the yeah. culture? Did if you, you know that baby to, face? Yeah. Only if you were listening to TLC and Tony Braxton would yeah. you know what a wasn't like, records was. But it wasn't a household name like that right. bad yeah. boy. Yeah. yeah. So I think this era was the commo- like kind of the uh, what is the kind of commodification of hip hop or urban culture as mm-hmm. it were, you know. It, Absolutely. It, and it's so cuz like so when I was watching this and he was wearing this is me being ignorant. So I was, I guess I remember seeing, you know, the brands, you know, uh, Echo Unlimited and all, you know, those brands. He was wearing an, is it a Nietzsche? Yes, but it's a Nietzsche. I just, we say a Nietzsche. Some people say NYC, but in Chicago, yeah, because we said I, a Nietzsche. <laughs> I said a Nietzsche. We said a Nietzsche in Texas. Okay. So, well, and we'll I, I didn't know that it show. was. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. If, I didn't know that it stood for NYC. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what it was. So that was me being ignorant. But that kind of, it's literally almost inclusivity cosplay. Like, uh, it, it, it's so, that is triggering for me. But it's like, oh, but I get it. Right. And it's just like, oh, it, it, it's so interesting. It was how, a sign like, of the times because if you look at it, had uh, Peter shown up, as he was, he would have had eyes on him. But at the time, yeah, if he can uh, show up and show through his presentation that he's of the culture and for the culture, people aren't going to pay attention as much. That this this uh, older white man is in the club with us, you know, doing yeah. whatever. Versus if he were to show up as the Peter, you know, in his suit or just in his polo as he normally is. And it's a sign of the time it, because I'd venture to say today you're getting eyes on you regardless. Whether you show up in your urban or, gear or you show up in your business or suit, not, you're going to get eyes on you because culture has shifted. Conversation has shifted. Trust oh and God. distrust he, has shifted. <laughs> I just don't. I can't believe that this was released 20 years ago. 20 years ago. I know. 20 years. Um, so going. OK, so uh, before we were talking about the box office. Right. So this is what happened. Like. So the budget of this movie was $35 million. Mm-hmm. Domestic opening on its opening day, we opening weekend, it got $31.1 million. That is amazing for, a, it basically made its money back in its first yeah. weekend. Um, domestic gross for this movie was $132.7 million. International gross was $32 million and worldwide gross was $164.7 million. For a comedy, and this is when we were talking about getting, but like, putting butts in seats in theaters. Steve Martin and Queen Latifah still do that, honestly. They do. Well, Queen, yeah, yeah, and that's kind of amazing. So it became a surprise hit, uh, spending three weeks at number one in the U.S. 
Um, on Rotten Tomatoes, however, it's at 34% of the tomato meter. Oh, God. And the audience score is a little bit higher at 49%. Um, it actually didn't get a couple of awards, you know, or, uh, 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 you know, there was a Teen Choice Award for Best Actress in a Comedy for Queen Latifah. NAACP Image Award for oh. Outstanding Actress in a Motion Picture for Queen Latifah in 2003. Oh. That one was interesting. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, there wasn't, uh, there probably wasn't a lot out. And honestly, mm-hmm. for being honest. Um, and then she was nominated for Best Performance MTV Movie Award and Best Fight with Missy Pyle. For MTV Movie Award. Yeah, they and the best a dance sequence. Best dance sequence with Steve Martin. Um oh, yes. that's interesting. Yeah. I wouldn't and, have, I wouldn't have thought about that. I forgot about them dancing. Um together that was when kelly price was singing shaka khan they danced <laughs> at the club yeah i remember that come on kelly price because that's oh. when ashley what? saw them remember her eye was still black yeah. and that's when she called uh designing women what's her name again i forgot it that oh geez smart yes that's when she called her and was and was shook because that's when i was introduced to her and you know what i will say is designing women had not been in syndication for so damn long so i had never seen the series in full and then a few years ago i think in the pandemic they put it on hulu and i binged the whole thing because i was a golden girls girl but designing women was part of the conversation but always on the fringes it seemed like so i watched it from season one episode one and watched it all the way through (laughs) how was that journey from you for you going from kind of the golden girls of it all to kind of entering this whole universe of the designing women of it all like was it an easy transition was it like like, like, well i was was easy to kind of shift i was very familiar with the golden girls i remember them being on the hallmark channel 24 7 yeah yeah yeah, but um but like i said designing women would never i think i had seen like maybe two episodes of designing women i had never seen it before and i what i will say is i in my mind they were similar shows but they're actually totally different they're yeah. totally different uh. the the comedy the writing the backs back behind the scenes drama they're two totally different shows Work. you know because I, I I'm, I'm like you I'm like kind of dipping my toe in the designing women pool lately because you know of course Golden Girls Stan will always be there it's like oh now you know let's introduce more friends into my circle uh-huh <laughs> but so Jason Filardi who wrote the screenplay it was originally titled jailbabe.com. Oh my God. And then he had, oh my, I know. And this was during the time, again, internet was, uh-huh, dot, uh-huh. everything was .com and uh, it, like 2.0 kind of shit. Uh, and he had Adam Sandler and Angelina Jolie in mind when he first wrote it. That is. It would have tanked. <laughs> that would have tanked. And those, those uh, were two of the biggest stars at the time and that would have tanked. Yeah. Have we ever seen Angelina Jolie in a comedic role? I don't even know if the her personality co- is capable of it. She's too serious, I feel. The only, the closest thing I remember her, seeing her in a comedy is Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And okay. that's like kind of an action comedy. I was about to say, um, yeah. She's not like ha-ha funny, but she says that, you know. That's but weird that that's everything who he else, had in mind. That is so weird. I know. I don't, I, I don't, maybe he was high. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a different time. Yeah, right? like yeah. maybe Angelina Jolie would have been hot on it. Who knows? Um, <laughs> there, you, it was interesting when I when I was looking through the um, 
the Rotten Tomato reviews. And you know how, like, they have the picture of the reviewer, and a lot of them seemed white. Let's, because you never know. But it was a lot of light skin on there. A lot there. of the fans so of this movie just... are white people. That's what you're telling me. <laughs> no, a lot of, like, non, uh, like, white people thought it was racist and good, all that good stuff. Yeah. Uh, like, like, for instance, here's one review um, from Richard Roper from Ebert and Roper when he, when this movie came out. Uh, he wrote, uh, you have somebody as smart as Steve Martin and as smart and appealing as Queen Latifah in a movie like this. To have such an awful offensive story is a real different is a real disappointment. He wrote that. Uh, Claudia Pugh, who I know, uh, she's also just a film critic. This is when she wrote for USA Today back in 2003. She says, it's a sorry situation when actors as talented and funny as Queen Latifah and Steve Martin waste their efforts in an offensive exercise that feels like a bad sitcom. I guess, well, maybe at the time, <laughs> I was going to say, maybe at the time, you know, I was behind. I was like 13. Because it sounded like they were they were evolved. But I, um... <laughs> no, but this was, no, but look at, the, uh, but... When I was reading the pot, like the good comp, it was like everyone was focusing on how happy it made them. Like it was like mm -hmm. they were like saying, like Roger Moore from the Orlando Sentinel wrote a gut bunching black and white culture clash comedy. Yes, there's problems with that comment, but he had fun. He had a good time. Did he time, lie? Right? <laughs> Did he lie? <laughs> because that's the truth. It is a culture clash comedy, and it is funny, and it is there black are parts and of white. It that are funny, and it is black and white. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, but any final words on your love and problems, problematic favorites with bringing down the house? Anything you want to add before we sign off? You know, I think I said everything that I needed to say about this <laughs> film because it, I mean, it's not something, it's not cerebral. It does, it requires the most minimal of efforts. I can put it on as background noise. It's one of those things that, like I mentioned at the top of this episode, I can certainly acknowledge is problematic as hell, but we all, like you mentioned in the theme of this show, we all have problematic faves. And this just so uh -huh. happens to be one of mine. I still, you know, get, get tickled watching this film. And it's it brings back fond memories. Like my family, we wore this DVD out. We enjoyed what? bringing down the house, you know. Yeah. But like like I mentioned, there's a love and reverence for Queen Latifah, you know. And and we also love Steve Martin. And I thought that whoever like you kind of spoke to this earlier with the casting, whoever did the casting struck gold because everybody fills their position perfectly in this film. Every from Betty White to Eugene, to to the the old woman, Miss, I forgot her name, but the woman. Oh, oh, oh. I, uh, Poi Wright, are you the, the, the English woman, the fancy yes, woman. the English woman. Everybody, mm -hmm. just everybody fulfills their role so perfectly. So whoever did the casting, yeah. shout out to them. Material yeah, aside, out. writing aside, the casting was A plus in this film. Yeah. And I think that's where this movie is. It's like, I'll, I know exactly what it was. It did what it set out to do. Yes. And it did a decent job doing it. Even if it set out to show racism and it, just, it, yeah. it showed that. But it's also just like, fine. I mean, like, I'll do, I think it's a fantastic, 
but no, it's not. But I'm like, oh, it made me giggle. Like I said, it minimal effort. Yeah. You can put this yeah. on on a Saturday morning while yeah. you're scrubbing your tub. It doesn't require your, your undivided yeah. attention. It's my, it's a mindless movie. It doesn't require brain power or you to be cerebral. It's literally <laughs> just one of those things that'll catch you off guard and you will find yourself chuckling. But I was like, yeah, you will. You know, you will. You Before you know it, you could go in with the most the guarded most obnoxious <laughs> like i hate this i hate i'm i'm look you're gonna you're gonna end up laughing yeah you know this movie is gonna this movie it would make anyone laugh so uh but char thank you so much for, for for chatting with me and taking the time out um where can people find you on the socials and all that good stuff you can find me everywhere at char says so that's s-h-a-r says s-a-y-s-s-o and is there, do you want to plug anything? You have an album dropping or? No, look, no album <laughs> dropping just yet. But I mean, you can catch me. I mean, I guess when this airs, we'll have a few episodes left if we're just like that. Again, if you just like yeah. podcasts, that'll get you through this LA traffic or wherever you may be listening from. Um, and if you're a fan of the show or even if you hate watch the show, tune in. I mean, it's Denver and I, and we're, you know, talking for about an hour and a half recapping the episode and also going on tangents and offering anecdotes and, and sharing our personal life experiences and how things thread together. So that's what I'm currently working on right now. We're just like that. It's available wherever you get your podcasts and it is the unofficial recap podcast for, and just like that, because they already have the writer's room, which is their <laughs> official podcast uh but, but this if you is unofficial hear, i was gonna say if you want to hear from two black people about <laughs> carrie charlotte miranda and and, <laughs> and the new three and the crew naya and seema and lisa and their husbands and things you know tune in we have a good time over there yeah it's fun different perspectives y'all that's what it's all about mm -hmm. um but shard thank you so much um and thank y'all for listening have a great day Problematic Fave podcast is presented by Diaspora and is created, hosted, and produced by Dino Ray Ramos. The series is also produced by Sanjay Sharma of Marginal Media Works and edited by Brian Aguilar. Special thanks to Cam. Subscribe to Problematic Fave on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to rate us. Diaspora is a media platform that amplifies intentionally exploited communities through its work. Follow Diaspora at Real Diaspora on Instagram and Twitter or visit thediasporatimes.com. Follow Marginal at M-R-G-N-L Media on Instagram. You can send us all your problematic faves on social or email us at thisisdiaspora at gmail.com. <laughs>